Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Sachin Daf Lamed Vav. Well, again, one of these dafs where there just was so much to talk about. Um, but what I want to start with is there's a really a nice few passages here, one at the beginning of the daf and one at the end of the daf, about the meaning of the word lechem oni, right? That's what we traditionally call um, the matzah and sort of trying to understand why it's been designated with that name. Um, and so we'll start here with the Tanu Rabbanan. Tanu Rabbanan, Yachol Yotzei Adam Yedei Chovato B'Maser Sheni B'Yerushalayim. So we remember the Mishnah was talking about different types of foods that you could use um, as the matzah that you must eat on the first night of Pesach. And so here it said, so you might have thought that you could use Maser Sheni, right, the food that you have to eat in Yerushalayim, uh, to fulfill your obligation of matzah on that first night. Tamud Lamar Lecham Oni, but no. The Torah uses in its description of the matzah, and this comes from a pasuk in Devarim in Perak Tadzayan Pasuk Gimel, chapter 16, verse 3, lechem oni, which we always translate as, you know, the bread of affliction. right? So it teaches us that it needs to be something that is eaten uh, within a state of aninut, right? So aninut is the state that we have when somebody loses one of their seven closest relatives, right? And this is mentioned in Vayikra and Perkhaf Aleph, Pasuk Bet and Gimel in uh, chapter 21, verse two and three. You're in this state of aninut, uh, which means that basically you don't do mitzvot. Um, but the idea of what it's trying to express is, is it's, a, it's a status of grief. Um, and the idea is that you're supposed to be eating it in some sort of state of grief. So therefore, So therefore, you can't actually be yotze eating it with your master sheni. Because master sheni is not eaten in a state of grief. Rather, it's eaten in a state of happiness. These are the words of Rabbi Yossi Haglili. And later on, they're going to also go through this, the same thing with Bikurim, right? With the first fruits that had to be brought up of the Shibat Minim of the seven species. And also says this thing, you know, the same idea that the Bikurim have to be eaten besimcha, um, and cannot be eaten in Aninut. And I was really taken by this idea that sort of we prescribe that sort of certain foods have to be eaten uh, with certain emotions attached to it. Um, and the idea that specifically matzah, I mean, whenever we think about lechem oni, I've always thought of it as the bread of affliction, meaning more like people who are oppressed, their food that they eat is not great. But I actually have never seen this passage with the idea of aninut, that it's actually one of grief. Um, and what does that mean? Because it's supposed to be our night where we're sort of happy, you know, our happiest because of the geula, the redemption that we experience. But yet we do know that at the Seder itself, there's supposed to be sort of this transformation of going from this low place of grief or being scared or worrying what the future of, us, of ours was going to be, not just as the Jewish people, but I think we're supposed to really experience it as individuals. We eventually land on a place of Hallel, right, where we praise God. But, you know, seeing this explanation here that the reason why we can't use Maser Shani or Bikurim produce or wheat, obviously, to make our matzah is because we have to eat those things besimcha, and the matzah itself really needs to be eaten in this state of aninut. Rabbi Akiva comes, he gives a different example, Rabbi Akiva Mer, matzot, matzot, ribat, right? So it has the word matzot, matzot repeated twice, and that actually does come to include um, that maser, it comes to include um, 
Master Shani, right? In Cain, Matamud Lamar Lechem Oni. So then Rabbi Akiva wants to say, so what's the purpose of saying Lechem Oni? Pratli Sashanilusha Biyain Vishemish Udavash. So his idea of Lechem Oni is not Oni, like from the word Aninut, but literally the bread of the poor. And so he develops this concept here of sort of Lechem Ashira, I guess, right? Right, which means that you can't use, um, you know, dough that was uh, kneaded with wine, oil, or honey. And so that really the idea of lechem oni is meant to be a poor man's bread. So now the Gemara is going to talk a little bit more about this. My time is a Rabbi Akiva. What's Rabbi Akiva's reasoning for, you know, rejecting Rabbi Yossi Haglili's understanding, right? Mikatib lechem oni, because is it really written as the word lechem oni, right? It's really ani, it's written. In other words, if you look at the vowelization there, right, it should be ani kativ. It's actually written. So this means that that, you know, so this is his understanding of why it should be read as poor and not really as grief. And so then they're going to go through again. So how does Rabbi Yossi Haglili deal with this? Rabbi Yossi Haglili, mi karinan ani. So, right, so you would say to Rabbi Yossi Haglili, but we read it as ani, you know, is that how we read it? Oni Karinan, he would say, no, you read it as Oni, which actually indicates that it would be grief. So it's interesting to see that it really has to do with a vowelization is the source of the Machlokas. For Rabbi Akiva, Haidza Karinan Beit Bei Oni. So Rabbi Akiva, right, what is he from the fact that we pronounce the word as Oni, Kiddush uh, right? This is a reference to also a teaching that we have of Shmuel, the Amar Shmuel, Lechem Oni. Shmuel said that Lechem Oni, right, the Torah calls it Lechem Oni. Because it's a bread on which we now it's coming from the word like ana, right? Answering, right? That we declare many things on, right? So the idea being that it's not, it's, it's, you know, to answer. So it's interesting to see. So we really have sort of three different approaches here. Rabbi Yossi Haglili's approach, which is aninut. Rabbi Akiva's approach, which is ani, which is supposed to be the bread of the poor person. And then Shmuel's which is Onet, which is to answer. I It makes so much sense to me, and I'm sure you would agree with me, Anna, about this, that Rabbi Akiva, who's always the eternal optimist, he could not have it be Lechem, like the Lechem of grief, right? It just makes sense with who his personality is as a Tana. I think that's true. I also think it, even, uh, listen, he certainly knows there's times of grief in the Torah, in this calendrical year, whatever, but at the Seder night, it really is very difficult to say that that should be a matter of grief. Right. I, and, I, and I think that's sort of what he's reflecting on. Now, again, you know, what does that mean in terms of the, um, you know, the Master Shani piece and the Bikurin piece um, with the Mishnah, you know, but, but it's just interesting to see, you know, this idea of the Aninut versus, you know, the Ani. And then the Gemara is going to close out at the bottom of Amud Bet it comes back to this topic again, Tanu Rabbanan, Lechem Oni. So another brace here, what's the Lechem Oni? Prat Lechalut Bila So it is excluding two different types of bread, which is something that's like the Chalut is a scalded bread and an Ashisha bread. So it could be that a person can only fulfill his obligation if he eats matzah with, that's coarse bread. Tamud Lamar Matzot Matzot Ribah. So the Torah teaches us matzot, and then again repeats the word matzot to include even this category of sort of this finer type of bread. And even like the matzot of that Shlomo HaMalach uh, would use, which presumably would be, you know, the nicest type of, 
of flour, because Shlomo HaMelech was known for, you know, for his wealth. So therefore, what does it mean to tell us about Lechamoni? Like, what is it, if we can use this beautiful refined flour like, like Shlomo HaMelech, what is Lechamoni coming to exclude for us? To exclude this type of scalded bread and this Ashisha bread. And then the Gemara is going to go on to try to figure out what exactly is Ashisha and it brings some Psukim. Um, but I just really enjoyed reading these passages. And there's something nice to see that, you know, the matzah is a ritual. It's a thing that we eat, but it has so much significance to it. And to see sort of all of the Midrash Halakha that comes along with it um, to really explain like it's significant and that when we have these types of symbolic things on the table, you know, to really think about like, it's not just matzah, but are we in a state of grief? Are we in a state of being a poor person? Are we like shmuels? It is, is it, you know, a food that we use to declare things over, right? Which I guess would be sort of like declaring or recognizing out loud the miracles that we experience um, on that night. And again, I'm just taken by throughout this whole dap, just the discussion about, you know, what's our state of mind when we eat certain foods? The idea that the Master Shani and the Bikurim had to be eaten in this state of Simcha, where that may not be true for the matzah itself. Okay, so the Gemara then continues, and, you know, if this is all the requirements of what it must be, then we have all the requirements of what it must not be. And we're, again, going to see Rabbi Akiva and some of these other folks as well. But some of Rabbi Akiva, Isa Shinilusha, what does Rabbi Akiva say, right, in terms of dough that was kneaded with wine or oil or honey? He says it cannot be used. For, doesn't he say that it could not be used for matzah? But we have a brita that says specifically, you may not knead your dough on Pesach with wine or oil or honey. And if you did so, um, so now we've got a big machloket. Rabbi Gamaliel says if you did so, then the dough has to be burnt immediately because it's leavening faster than if it had just been water. And so you can't know exactly the point of leavening, so check the whole thing because you might really be verging on chametz. But the chachamim said that even though it's leavening quickly, meaning it's becoming chametz very fast, you could still prevent it from becoming leavening, becoming leavened, meaning just you know, cook it very fast, bake it very fast, and then you could eat it. And Rabbi Akiva continues, Shabbat Haita Itzel Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Lashte Lahem, Isabiyan, Velashti Lahem, Isabiyan, Vishem, Vidvash, Velo Amrali Devar. So Rabbi Akiva says, you know, I had shot, I, I it was my Shabbat to serve before realizing Rabbi Yeshua, meaning the implication is that there is some kind of rotation, right, of the people who are, who are going to be. I guess setting up the Shabbat food. And Rabbi Kiva says he did knead the dough with wine and oil and honey. And they didn't say anything to me, meaning they didn't object in any way. So this question of what does Rabbi Kiva say you can do or cannot do, you know, when it comes to kneading with these extra substances, it would seem that not only does he say that you can, but he put his he, he put it into practice. So the Gemara, I'm um, sorry, the Bright itself continues and said, Afopisha ein lashin makachinbo that that if you if although you may not need the dough this way you can still put them on top of the dough meaning not when it's already matzah it seems that you could do this even when it's still just dough that you could put wine or oil or honey as a i don't know some kind of glaze on the matzah itself 
Well, then the difficulty is still going to be, we come back to the Tanakama who says you cannot knead the, bra- the bread any of this dough with wine or oil and honey. And then Chachamim say, those who say that you could need, you could put it on top. But if you say that you can't need with these things, then you also can't put it on top. Meaning that distinction does not seem to hold water with Chachamim. And then on top of that, everybody agrees that you can't knead your dough with warm water because warm water will cause it to, to rise, basically. It'll cause it to become leavened more quickly in a way that seems to go beyond the wine, oil, and honey. Um, okay. So the Gemara in the end says, that's not difficult. The moment you say that we've got a distinction between the matzah that's going to be used on the first night of Pesach, when there's a mitzvah to a right to have matzah, and that has to be just, you know, simply flour and water um, and not warm water, then the idea that you could possibly you know, need the dough with these other substances for the second night when it's not the same obligation to have matzah, well, then that, that's going to sit well with everybody, meaning maybe not everybody, but it, it the the distinction between the requirement for mitzvah dough right on the first night as compared to the entirety of the rest of Pesach is a real one. And then the Gemara continues, and I, I do find these, um, it's, it's another real life case, right, that we've got a story of Rabbi Yoshua and his sons and what they're making for Pesach. What he says to Rabbi Yoshua says to his sons, "Yoma kama lo talushuli b'chalba, mikan ve'elech lushuli b'chalba." He says, "For the first night of Pesach, do not need my dough, the dough for me, with milk." Now, this, of course, is a very interesting uh, premise because you'll recall that we talked about how bread itself shouldn't not be kneaded with milk. It becomes a complicated thing to have chalavi bread, right? To have dairy bread. But besides that, he says, but the first night onward, you can, need, you know, do need my, my dough for me with milk. And that's really where the, the question kicks in, right? The idea that you wouldn't do it the first night. Well, also, aren't you about to have the Korban Pesach? And, you know, which calls into question all kinds of, you know, if you could have matzah that was made with milk as opposed to being made with water, you the dough of the matzah isn't the only question that would then arise. Vahatanya, um, and so the Gemara is going to ask exactly this question of the of the dairy bread. Then the whole dough should be prohibited because you've got dairy bread. And you'll get used to having dairy bread, so forget that because then you'll continue to make dairy bread and then you'll put it in a meat oven and then you'll be eating treif, right? This is This is the concern that we saw I don't know now, a week ago, right? Ah, so the Gemara corrects it and says, it wasn't really talking about milk at all. It was really talking about honey and saying, you know, that first night, he says to his sons, don't, don't need my bread, don't need the matzah with honey, but for the rest of Pesach, you could. Um, and if you want to say that he was really talking about milk, well, again, there's all different kinds of... The, the Gemara goes on to have different solutions to why that might be okay. And it, and then it continues also to the dough with warm water. Is this different from other carbonate? Where this is, we've talked about this, Yardini, you touched on this briefly the other day, right? The fact that there are carbonate made of grain and they're called menachot, menachot, and they are often, I would say, matzah, right? Meaning there's a concern of not having chametz on the mizbeach, 
So this issue of how, what were they doing? What were the Kohanim doing when they prepared this particular korban? Again, it's going to be the same concern of making sure that it doesn't rise. And the Gemara continues, and now I'm skipping a bit, and it says that really the Kohanim were the ones who were really the best at using, at doing this kneading of the of the dough for matzah, because it says all of the um, all of the manachot, these karbanot were, were kneaded with warm water. And they made sure that they did not get to be chametz. Why? Because they were, they just moved quickly. So you might think that it's really that they were just diligent and eager to get this done. right? And then we could say that not everybody could do that. Meaning the Kohanim um, were on duty, let's say, right? And that means that they were paying very careful attention to get this done and to get it done fast, certainly prior to there being any risk of leavening. Um, but part of the question, I, part of the, I don't know, the the reality of this, I think, to me, is the fact that the Kohanim were very accustomed to be to be doing this. We know that they had certain rotations. It's not that all the Kohanim were doing this all of the time. But at any time that they're serving the Beit HaMikdash, they're making a korban mincha many times because basically every korban ola, every daily morning korban and afternoon korban is accompanied by a mincha and all kinds of other times, you know, throughout the, the day, the week. So to me, it's not just a matter of, well, they were careful because they knew how important it was, but they were careful because they were also experts at this in a way that your average matzah baker, you know, for Pesach, I think is probably you know, no matter how adept one is, they're really only doing it for that one week of the year as compared to the Kohanim who are doing it much more frequently. Um, I, no, I, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I don't think this Rizos is trying to say that somehow like Kohanim were more careful. I think it's more just they had a different familiarity. We'll see this on tomorrow's stuff also um, of like how to make sure things didn't turn chametz. Um, and so therefore they were sort of trusted in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the Gemara goes on here. You know, it, it continues past this point, and it ta- and it ad- addresses the question of you know the fact that there are manachot that are brought that the kohen the kohen might not be the one to to need it. It really might be the person who brings the carbon who would need it. And and then and then what do you do, right? If it's not the one, if it's not being needed by the by the zaris, by the eager, diligent, whatever, however you want to translate this word zaris, the kohanim, what happens? What happens when somebody who's just a regular person comes and doesn't? The answer there is that, well, but you're in the Beit HaMikdash, so you're going to be on high alert. And I think that there's something to be said for that. I think that there's there's two different aspects here. One, as you've said, Dana, now, is the, the, the expertise here, right, that they were very familiar with it and very it, – it's just in a, a faster, easier process when it's something that is second nature to you. And on the other hand, once you are in the Beit HaMikdash and you are, um, you know, or for that matter – um, when you are in a situation where you have to pay greater attention, there is an idea that you will then pay greater attention, right? That's not so crazy to think. The question I would have on that, of course, is then what happens when it comes to Pesach? I think pe- people take Pesach seriously and people take matzah baking seriously. And we know that, you know, there's an 18-minute rule of how long it will take for water, not warm water, regular water, cold water, room temperature water, and flour to become chametz. And the average matzah that we would buy now from a regular matzah company is made in such a tiny fraction of the time of the 18 minutes, meaning they go so fast and then they clean everything so fast. So, uh, you know, I understand the concern here. Um, I'm just, 
it's just an interesting distinction to me, the the Kohanim versus the everybody else. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And But I think we see this theme throughout the Gemara that sort of Kohanim are treated a little differently, you know, the same, you know, they they their religious life involved being careful, I guess, or being in tune to different set of halachot or parameters that the average person wasn't. And so seeing how that impacts particularly matzah, I mean, one of the things that's, you know, striking to me is how much non-chametz there was in the Beit HaMikdash. Like, I think you know that when you read Vayikra, but like really seeing it in practice, it really comes alive on these pages. Yes, I agree with that. Right. And that, right. And that the idea that it was really part of uh, the, like part of the Avoda and the temple was having, you know, the Nazir and the Mincha, like all of these types of unleavened uh, cakes or whatever you wanted to call them that, you know, needed to be given as part of the service there. And also this was their diet, right? Meaning this is, for the most part, the Kohanim are eating from the Karbanot and from the other gifts that are brought to the Beit HaMikdash. They're not out there plowing their own fields because they don't have any, right? Or if they do have any, certainly not while they're on duty in the Beit HaMikdash. So the fact that they are eating matzah outside of the year, you know, during the year outside of the week of Pesach is something that I think we also don't so much pay attention to. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. Right. Like, I think there's a whole, again, on my list of PhDs based on the Talmud, <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting to look at sort of how were Kohanim, you know, basically sustained by the people and what really was their diet of food that they had? Um, because they didn't, they really, as much as you could look at that system as like, look what the priests got from the people, but they also were very dependent on it at the same time. And, and in a way, it may have limited their diet, especially those for the two weeks when they're work, you know, when they're doing their mishmar and working in the Beit HaMikdash. Right. Were they able to go out to the Makolid and supplement it if they didn't like Yeah, the could you get like your Shoko Bisakit? I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Neat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stuff and some of its understanding and ideas about Lechamoni and how to knead dough and making sure things stay uh, unleavened or not chamed on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>